If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. Well, friends, we are in week three of our series, One Another. And uh, I am so excited about our topic tonight. And uh, next week, we're going to end this series on a high note when we speak about the church of God, the family of God, the one anothering of the church. And uh, let me start out uh, by saying that what we've discovered so far in this series is that the church of God is first and foremost not a religious institution, not an organization, not a charity, uh, not a moralistic institution or a moralistic voice uh, in the world. No, the church, first and foremost, one of the fullest expressions when you try to describe the church of Jesus Christ, it's what? Family, family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't call one another's only friends, but we have deeper connections than that. We come from the same bloodline, which is Jesus. We are brothers and sisters. And listen, the Father, God the Father was the Father from the beginning. He had a son, Jesus, and He wanted more sons. And then Jesus died on a cross, and from that, the lineage of the family of God started at new birth, like Aidan explained so beautifully last week. And uh, I find myself in that same place. I want more sons. And I stopped now at three uh, because people warned me um, about the implications. And so this weekend we got two puppies as a final uh, declaration that we are done. We are done. We're not going to get a little girl. We are done. One of the uh, puppies, she's a girl. So that's the the, uh, yeah, Jonah said we need some more females in the house. So we got a little puppy, but we're done. But when we speak about church, it's all about family and being in one another's homes and in one another's lives. And if you grew up in a family, you would know that the family structure is beautifully designed by God for a purpose. It's a place of belonging. It's a place of safety. It's also a place where you get to discover who you are in this world. As parents, we are very much aware that one of our primary functions as parents is to help to establish identity in our kids. God gave us kids with treasures of identity and as parents, we call that out of them so that we can send them back into the world with a solid foundation of who they are in Christ, what they were created to do in this world. That's family. It's the place where you belong. It's the place where you find out identity. It's also the place where the people in your house, they know the best of you and they know you at your worst and they still love you. But the household is the primary space where one, we grow up, where we mature. I mean, who of you want, and students, you can't participate in this uh, very random uh, like questionnaire, but who of you, wants to be in your parents' house for the rest of your life. Don't put up your hand now. I mean, there's a moment where you need to leave the nest. You need to go. And the church of God is exactly that. It's this family that God has put together that you find out who you are. You belong to this family. You, you 
discover your identity in Christ, and then you go out into the world with purpose and with a mission and with security, and you carry the name of God wherever you go. You belong to this family. And what we've discovered is in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, the main, you know, thing, the main testimony of this family is love. It's acceptance. It's being together. It's accepting one another, loving one another. And he said in verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, the church our biggest testimony is not what we believe, our doctrine. Our biggest testimony is not our projects and our processes and our outreaches. The world looks at us and our biggest impact in this world and our biggest testimony, how will people know that you are a follower of Christ, is in the way that you love the people next to you. Okay, Eugene, but that's interesting. How is that possible? You see, the world would look at you and think, Okay, you're not just a bunch of nice people, but there's something real when it comes to the relationships in which you live in the body of Christ. You see, <laughs> when we say you need, we need to love one another, it's easy to think, well, does that mean we just need to be nice to one another? We should pray for one another, carry one another's burdens, you know, be there for one another. And yes, that is a beautiful expression of the love of God in the church but let me, let me tell you, and I want to suggest to us tonight is this, that maybe sometimes the fullest expression of the love of God in the church is not in the moments where everything is fine and working perfectly in relationships. Maybe the fullest expression of the love of God in the church is when things get messy, it's an opportunity for God's love to be on display in this world. You see, the world handles conflict and issues relationally in a certain way. I mean, you grew up in a specific reference when it comes to handling conflict. So some of you grew up in a house where conflict is avoided. You never fight. You always just, you know, throw it under the rug. And then there's one day where your mother comes out of that room and you see, um, you have to look twice because she sounds like a demon, but she looks like your mother. And then everything is sorted out in that house. Every, anyone who grew up in such a house, you know, conflict was avoided. All right. Then there are others of you who grew up in a kind of a household where conflict and fighting was your native language. Anyone who grew up in that house, it's like shouting from the morning till the evening. Uh, you can't even say, I love you without being, uh, without sounding angry. I love you! <laughs> That's our reference when it comes to handling conflict and issues. But can you imagine for a moment that a moment of conflict, a moment of issues in the relationship between people in the, in the household of God is an opportunity for His love to be on display in the world. You see, the world handles conflict sometimes in ways like, you know, backstabbing, lashing out, you know, anger, insults, manipulation, sometimes just run away from it or holding a grudge against someone. And what I want to try and do tonight is to help you understand from a gospel perspective how we take the finished work of Christ and what He has done on the cross 
and how that empowers us to live counterculturally when it comes to the reconciliation of relationships and with regards to forgiveness in the household of God. Are you ready for it? So I want to start like this. In Ephesians 2, verse 13 to 14, Paul actually dives into this issue. He says, but now in Christ, he's writing to the Ephesians, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, referring to the Jews and the Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, you have to understand what Paul is getting at here. He's actually referring to the fall. You see what happened in the fall when Adam and Eve sinned? Firstly, peace with God was lost, but also peace with one another was lost. When they were kicked out of Eden, one chapter later, one chapter, their two boys are fighting, uh, uh, you know, passive-aggressively, and... Uh, the one guy had a beautiful offering and the other guy's offering was not so pleasing to God. So there was jealousy in his heart. What happened? One chapter in the story of sin, he killed his brother. God comes to Cain and he says, where is your brother? And then the most horrific, saddest scripture in the whole Bible, Cain responds and he says, am I my brother's keeper? My question to you tonight is, are you your brother's keeper? Huh? Yes. <laughs> this morning in the Afrikaans service, it was so funny. As I just said that, you know, there's, there was this young kid at the back. And in Afrikaans, it's, is jy jou broerse oppasser? And then I said, jylle is jylle broerse oppasser. You are your brother's keeper. And this guy shouts from the back, what? <laughs> <laughs> And I know some of you responded in that way, like, what? I thought I'm only here to, you know, look after number one, me. No, my friend, you are your brother's keeper if you are part of the church, part of God's family. You see, what happened at the cross and the resurrection of Christ is first and foremost, our peace with God was restored and that had immediate effect with regards to the peace that we have with one another. And Paul is referring to a specific picture here. Maybe you're reading it and you're saying, okay, uh, he has destroyed the barrier, the, the, dividing, the dividing wall of hostility. What in the world does that mean? Paul is actually using an image from the Old Testament, from the Jewish temple. And I brought a picture with so that you can actually see what Paul is getting at here. So the Jewish temple in the Old Testament looked something in, uh, you know, like that. And it's got a wall on the outside and then this wall with entrances on the inside. So the biggest part outside of the walls were for the Gentiles. They could stand there and listen to the whatever, sacrifices and the music and whatever. And then there were these little pods within the temple for specific people, kids, Jewish children, uh, women. I don't know why, you know, the kids and the mothers were you know, not uh, together, but anyway. And the ladies, I suppose, was in their own room because it was a neat kind of room. Glory. Okay, you'll see one day, my friend, the girls are spotless. No, just joking, they're messy. Okay. 
So these dividing walls actually separated the people from one another, the Pharisees and the peasants. And that is the most, that is the saddest picture when it comes to, you know, we are the new temple in a sense as the church. That is exactly the opposite of what God has in mind when it comes to the church. He came to break down the dividing wall of hostility against people. He came to actually smash it down so that we can live in peace and acceptance of one another. That's the picture that Paul has in mind here. And what I want to help us tonight is to understand what happens when that wall of division is resurrected again in a relationship between you and another person. You feel the distance. You feel the disconnect. And friends, as a family of God, our obligation is, our duty, our privilege is whenever we experience a wall of division of that kind between you and another person, we have to break it down. We are family. We are church. We don't live like that anymore. We live on this side of the cross where God has destroyed this barrier between his children. So I want to share three things with you tonight on how to make that practical in your relationships inside the church. And I think it would also help in terms of your relationships that are not represented in this building tonight. The first thing is forgiveness. Now you're saying to yourself, okay, I've heard many sermons on forgiveness. Here we go again. You're going to make me feel guilty. Then I have to text someone and say, I forgive you. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a soppy story. But here's the, here's the fact about forgiveness that I want to highlight tonight. Forgiveness is one of those things that you can only give what you have received. Go and read the Bible when it comes to that. When you struggle to forgive, the issue is not that you're a bad person, you're unchristian, you don't know how this thing works. The issue is that maybe you yourself haven't received the fullness of the forgiveness that is available for you in Christ. Let me put it in another way. You see, uh, uh, Jesus actually, in, in Luke chapter 7, this very sinful woman barge in on this religious meeting. She washes the feet of Jesus, you know, with perfume and stuff. And then Jesus said the following, Luke chapter 7, verse 47, he says, Therefore I tell you, he's speaking to the Pharisees and his disciples, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. What is Jesus getting at here? It's actually very simple to understand. If you see your own life and your personal sin as only a 250 ml cup, you receive forgiveness for that in your own life for your sin, then the Bible says that is the measure which you will use when you forgive others, the same amount. But when you discover that your sin is more like the uh, 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 what the story? Huh? reservoir here on Palace Sea, 
the, the other small mountain that we have. When you discover the depth and the width of your own sin and you receive forgiveness in your own life for that, that becomes the measure and the power to use when you forgive others. You see, forgiveness is not a moment. Forgiveness is not a moment that you make a, you know, a reasonable decision. I'm going to forgive this person. No, forgiveness comes from the wealth of grace and forgiveness and peace and mercy that you have received from God. Forgiveness is that moment where you decide to change the direction of your heart against that person. It's the moment, it's, it's not a, you know, okay, I'll forgive and forget, then it's done, you know. No, it's I'll remember and still choose to forgive. It's a journey, it's a directional change. Every time this person sins against me again, I will forgive. Jesus says, forgive your brother 70 times seven. Don't do the math, what Jesus is actually saying, my friend, <laughs> just forgive. <laughs> like I forgave you, that's, that's his command actually for us. So forgiveness is not a moment, it's a change of direction. Listen here, we're not saying that forgiveness is just dismissing the wrong that has been done against you, no. It's actually discovering that what I'm keeping against someone else is actually very, very dangerous for myself and my faith. Someone said, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's exactly what unforgiveness is. Sometimes the other person don't even know that they have done something against you, but you are carrying this burden. You are carrying the weight. You get these people that come to you and say, listen here, I forgive you. I've decided in my heart I'm going to forgive you. And then you're like, oh, did I do something against you? I'm so sorry. You know, forgiveness starts in your own heart. It's not looking for evidence in the other person, change of behavior and change of attitudes. It's actually saying, God, I'm releasing this person from my own heart so that I don't live with this kind of bitterness and weight on my own heart. Out of the wealth that I've received from you, I'm going to set them free. And I'm going to keep on doing that for the rest of my life. Someone is getting it like that boy this morning. Glory. Amen. Second thing is reconciliation. So forgiveness is one thing. But then there's actually a next step when it comes to restoring broken relationships. Listen to Romans 5, verse 10. Paul speaking about our relationship with God. He's saying, he's saying, for if while we were God's enemies, you see, we were still enemies of God. We're not friends yet. We are enemies of God. While we still were enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Imagine for a moment, God only forgave you for your sin, so that you won't go to hell. He just forgave you, set you free. 
but there was never a moment of reconciliation in relationship with him. Never experienced the fullness of intimacy and connectedness with him. Imagine the kind of Christian life that we would have lived if that was the truth. You see, forgiveness has a second step. It's reconciliation. Just a side note, not all relationships are reconcilable. I just want to say that. Sometimes the hurt and the damage is so humongous that that thing can't be fixed. You see, for forgiveness to happen, it's a one-way street. Sometimes you just forgive that person so that you don't carry that weight. But for reconciliation to take place, it's a two-way street. Both parties need to be part of that process. Both parties need to be in on the journey of reconciliation. So, there's this amazing moment where Jesus teaches on this thing and he's saying the following to his disciples. Listen to this, Matthew 5 verse 23. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. What is Jesus getting at here? He's actually, he's not saying you can't worship when you're not reconciled to someone, so don't stress. But he's actually saying that there's something more important than worship, and that is reconciliation. <laughs> and it's so funny, you, you, I always see the humor in these things, but he says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that you're not reconciled yet. <laughs> Who of you have ever experienced that? You come to worship, you're so excited. You had a very rough week, but now this evening you're just going to be in God's presence. And from the first song, you have this person in your mind that you've, you, know, you fought with the week. This person that you wrote off. <laughs> Jesus said it's going to happen. He's going to remind you in worship. Go and be reconciled. Go and fix that so that your heart can be open to receive again. He's not saying that we can't worship, but he's saying he's going to use worship sometimes to do deep things in our hearts, to release people and to be reconciled to them. Can you see how important healthy relationships are for, for God in the church? It is massive. For God, it's so important that He would be fine if you don't worship and just walk out and go and fix that first before you come back and worship again. It's of such importance. And let me just say, reconciliation does not happen just by itself. You can't say, let's just give it time and space, then we'll be reconciled. No. <laughs> reconciliation takes initiative. It needs to be intentional. There's some work to be done. And actually the motivation of reconciliation is not, I'm going to prove my point to that person. I'm going to take vengeance on them. No, God says vengeance is mine. Your responsibility is to go and restore what has been broken in that relationship. So the right motivation is God. My desire is for this relationship to be reconciled, not for my own sake, 
but that your love and your glory would be on display when I do it. You see, that, my friend, is a miracle. If you don't believe in miracles, this is a miracle. The world will look at us. They would see that we love one another. But they would also, your, your colleagues would look at you and they would hear your pain with regards to this person. And the next week, you come there and you're like, we've been reconciled. We're friends again. We're in relationship again. And they're going to look at you like, okay, obviously this is not from you. This must be from God. Because I know what this person did against you. You see, reconciliation in relationships, it takes a miracle for that to happen. It's not out of human effort. It's God-given. This love that we're speaking about is not of human origin. It's divine. It's the kind of love that God has for you. When He reconciled you to Himself when you were still enemies of Him. It's those moments, friends, that we have the opportunity to fully display the love of God to the world. We have to. We must get it right. It's who we are. Last tip on reconciliation. Sometimes there is some intervention needed in a relationship. I mean, the Bible says if someone did against something against you, go to them, tell them. If they don't listen, take someone else. If they don't listen, bring the church in. <laughs> bring the elders. Make an appointment. I'll give you a knife and you a knife. Sort it out. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Sometimes for a broken relationship to actually be reconciled again, intervention is needed. So just make a note of that. Not all relationships are just easy to reconcile. Last thing is restitution. You're like, okay, Eugene, <laughs> another step. Yes. Here's the truth about relationships. When a relationship is broken because of pain or wrong or whatever, you know the one thing that is lost in that relationship is trust. I brought an illustration to make it as simple as possible to explain how trust works in a relationship. You have to, I don't know why you have to like get it, yeah, you have to get it loose, okay. More warm up. Trust works like this in any relationship. There are these moments in our friendships, in our marriages, in our family relationships, where we build trust with a person. That smoke from the fireplace last night. <laughs> All right. And uh, you know, there's this, ooh, there's this moment where you see this person and they do what they said they would do. There's this moment where you just, you know, you just love this person for who they are. Trust is built. They come up for you. They stand up for you in a very difficult situation. Sure. Ferdi. These things that you bought is very potent. <laughs> there are these moments in every relationship where trust is built. Maybe three, five years, seven years. 
You know how trust is lost in a relationship. It takes just one moment. Hey. She was the one who covered her ears and now she got it. <laughs> it takes one simple mistake, one stupid thing that you say that breaks trust in a relationship. So we have forgiven, we have apologized, we received forgiveness, we extended forgiveness. Now we're on this journey to reconcile with one another, to restore grace back into the relationship, to restore favor back into the relationship. But now there's this next step when it comes to restitution, building back the trust that has been lost. Four quick just notes on that. First thing, we have to acknowledge the fact that trust is lost. Address the elephant in the room. Sit together. Tell each other, I don't trust you anymore. I don't trust you anymore. Don't start fighting. Just acknowledge the elephant, then go on. Be very realistic and very patient with this process of building trust again. The secret when it comes to that is consistency. Consistent in words, consistent in actions, even if your emotions say otherwise. When you feel, listen here, I'm again very angry at you, start again with forgiveness. <laughs> Reconciliation, building trust. Last thing is, maybe you need to revisit in that relationship, what was the things in the past, in the first place, that actually helped you to build trust and start doing those things again, slowly but surely, giving the air back to this relationship. I want to ask the worship guys to join me on stage and we're going to end this moment. And friends, I'm sharing this tonight and it's maybe very uncomfortable for some of you, but I'm sharing this because this is a moment for us. My desire for Doxaday of Fijar Park and for you personally is not to live with unforgiveness, but to see every moment as an opportunity for God's love to be evident, the fullness of His love. His love is not only shown in the nice moments. Sometimes His love is shown when things get messy. We're going to sing a song together and on the left hand, we've got a station that says, Now I Love. Maybe as we spoke on this, there were maybe two or three names that popped into your mind or just one name maybe. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe you need to start just forgiving yourself tonight. I want to invite you to come forward and just write that name on the paper. Nobody's going to see and just hang it up on that board. And maybe you're not saying, I'm ready to forgive yet. But God, I'm, I'm changing the direction tonight to say, I'm trusting you for forgiveness in that relationship. I'm trusting you for reconciliation. I'm trusting you for the miracle of building back trust into that relationship again. Let's pray together. God, you are the God of reconciliation, Lord, and you've given us this ministry of being reconciled to you for eternity, God, but you also desire that our family would live in healthy relationships, 
God, I pray for every person, myself included, that have struggled this past week or this past month or this, the past 10 years when it comes to this, that you would give us grace tonight to grasp the width and the depth of your love and your forgiveness for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.